we'll be like all over the place today. So, surprise. Um, <laughs> we'd been in this time of communion, and again, it's so that we could grow in intimacy with the Lord. And, and we're a church that believes that the Lord wants to send revival, and, and, and I think that revival comes by way of intimacy, and it comes by way of relationship with the Lord. And, and we ought to be growing closer to the Lord. We, we ought to have more and more moments where we just get overwhelmed. And we're not even sure why we're overwhelmed. We just know he's there. And, um, and, and this, this, this communion that we're desiring to walk in, I, I believe that it's the thing that will make it to where we never turn our back on, on him. And, and I believe it's, I say I believe, I believe it's the thing that will make our kids and grandkids and great-grandkids the thing that they never turn their back on him as well. And, um, <laughs> but I also think that it, it, if our kids have turned their back on him or if they're not as close to the Lord as, as we know that he would desire, we also know that I, I think that this communion and relationship with the Lord will begin to draw them. And so it's just this beautiful thing I think the Lord's doing. It's, it's what, I, I think it's what Christ Jesus gave us as a picture of what real revival is, and that is intimacy with the Father. I mean, that's what he prayed in John 17. We've read that several weeks in a row. That he said, the glory which you've given me, I have given to them that they may be one just as we are one in them and you and me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. And so Jesus prays, he says, the glory, the weighty manifest presence of God, the, the same glory that you've given me, Lord, I want them to have and I'm actually going to give it to them because you gave it to me. And since you gave it to me, I have the right to give it to them. And since I've given it to them, I want them to actually walk in union and intimacy with, with each other and with us as a sign and a wonder to the world that they are with me. And so it's just this beautiful picture of what the Lord desires to do on the earth. It's, it's like, it's like do, do we try harder or do we just fall more and more in love? <laughs> it's, it's, it's do we work harder? And there is merit. We should work hard. We should try hard. We should do our absolute best. But, but I think that if revival was going to come by way of working hard, it would have came by way of working hard a really long time ago. And, and like I've been part of churches and the Crestwood folk were part of Crestwood for years and years ago and, and or for years and years. And, and like some of us have done every possible thing that we could think of, things from like movie nights outside, uh, uh, potlucks. Uh, uh, all, you, you name it, we've probably done it. We did free yard sales where, where we gathered all kinds of stuff, and then we gave it away to the community. We've done, you name it, we have done it. I, I promise you. And, and like I'm sure there's like a litany of things in here. And not that those things are bad in and of themselves. I, I just think that sometimes we, we have relied more on the program rather than the presence and, and the presence comes again by way of intimacy. And, 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 and again, intimacy is, I just think it's where it's at. It's a picture of revival. And so I'm just going to skip ahead because I just want to talk more as a, as a dad today. I, I put this on Facebook the other day, and, um, and I actually had no intention to preach it. I actually just thought, oh, I feel like this is what the Lord wants me to post. So, but um, as I was praying... I felt like, and this will make sense here in a second, I felt like, no, that's actually what I'm supposed to share this week. And so I'm going to read verbatim what I wrote, and then I'm going to show you or talk to you about what I think the Lord is actually building here. And how many would you, would you agree, like, like Taylor prayed it out, like the Lord's doing something new here. And we can't articulate it, we just know he's doing something new. And, and we've been at this thing for a little over three years now, but it feels different than it did six months ago. It feels different than it did two months ago, and it feels radically different than it did three years ago. It just, it just does. And, 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 and I'm thankful for every phase of what he's done. I just feel like we're entering into the season where it's like, like, I'm like, what in the world are you going to do next? Okay? 
And, and so, like, I, I, I'm just so thankful. So I wrote this the other day. I said, at, at River City, we, we're not building a church. And you've heard April in particular pray, this is not a church, this is a family. And, and that is the mindset we should be taking. I'm just going to say that, okay? We are a family, and I'll explain more of that in just a second. We're a family who desires nothing else than his presence. And I think this is who we are. I, mean, I should have prefaced it with this. I think this is who we are, and I think this is who we're becoming. <laughs> because to stop at who we are would say that we've arrived, and we haven't. But if we say this is who we are, but this is who we're becoming, we're just going to become a greater degree of who we are currently, if that makes sense. All right, so we're a family that wants nothing else than his presence. We're a family who believes, and I'll explain this, in the importance of generational legacy, a family who desires to see our region transformed, and a family, and I've changed it from city because I think he wants to use us to do more than just the city. All right, and a family who is being equipped to be carriers of revival. And so, so it's like, well, we look around and we have a lot of people gone today and there's a little more echo in the room, right? Because we have some empty seats and that doesn't bother me one bit. I, I just think what the Lord's doing here is very, very special. It's very, very significant. And it's easy to look around and think, well, you're nuts for believing this. I actually think it's nuts not to believe it, okay? And, and so I believe this is what the Lord is making us. And I just want to go through some of these one by one. First of all, we're not a church, we're a family. And I understand we have the makings of a church. I mean, we have a cross on the wall, so that makes you a church, right? We took communion today. It makes you a church. We have a couple ordained elders. makes you a church. No, that's not what makes you a church. But, but, but we, I, 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 church, we have all these elements, but I want it to be more than that. I've said it before, but I want it to be like where I can't picture my life without Brett and eventually Taylor Wright, right, here real soon, right? I wanted to look at it what, like I can't picture my life without the Coxes or the Reddicks or, or the Jerseys and, 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 and everyone else, uh, 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 the Claywell family. Like, like I, I don't want to picture my life without the people in this room. And I want you all not to picture your life without the people as well in this room either. And so because this is, and again, I've, I've pastored, I've pastored all around the country and, and part of my ministry is talking to pastors and probably one of the scariest things is is let, let's just say like and you could we could do this two ways one what if i now if i if if it's if it's not family and if it's about worship and if it's about if it's about the minister that if there's a change in worship which we've had the last few weeks then people leave Right? Or if the minister gets called to do something else, or if the minister, and that's not what the Lord's asked me to do, so don't like read into that. <laughs> this is home. This really is home. But if I announce I'm going to be out on vacation, right, then everyone's like, well, I'm taking that week off too. And like we, we do stuff like that, and I'm thinking, man, you guys are missing out because you got, probably got Bob that's going to get you, and it's going to be really good anyway. <laughs> and so, 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 but if it's family, if it's family, there's that longing to be with your family in the Lord's presence together, right? And so it's like when I, when I travel and I'm gone for two, three, four, five days, like I mourn being away from April and Ethan, and I think it's the same thing. And so we want to raise this up. And as more people join the fold, or as some of y'all, <laughs> some of y'all have babies, for instance, if y'all have babies, like like those kids get raised in the context of family, not not just in your home, and you come and bring them to be part of a church because you knock it off your list. It's like it's like I, I, I like like if, if they ever have kids or when they have kids, we'll just prophesy that. But when they have kids, and when Colin and Taylor, like it's like there, there's Uncle Tim right there across the room, right? Like, like that's the mindset. And so, 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 then, so then it takes the pressure off. And let me just say this. It takes the pressure off to try to grow a great big organization. But rather, we get trusted to steward this natural and organic, living, breathing organism that the Lord has given us. And we celebrate it nonetheless. And so, like, our, our family, we have a small family. There's three of us. And our 
Thanksgivings and Christmases when it's just the three of us are every bit as significant to me as it was when I was growing up and there were 50 of us crammed into a room. It's every bit of a significant because that's family. And so if we make that mindset change that it's, that it's no longer considered a church but it's considered a family, it changes the way that you do every single thing that you do. And so some of y'all plan to do a vacation this, uh, this summer. Praise God. That's what family does. Now, it's still a church, so don't be like, oh, we don't have a church. We're family, and people's like, what's that? And then someone will be like, well, it sounds more like a cult. <laughs> it's not a cult. <laughs> I promise you, it's not a cult. It's family. Amen. It's family, all right? Now, now, a family who wants nothing else but his presence. It says, uh, look, at, look at Hosea 2. This is one of my favorite verses. Hosea 2, verses 14 and 15, and I'm going to use this to just talk about the presence for a few minutes. But, and you've heard me rattle this off because I knew this one by my heart, but it says, Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak kindly to her. Now, obviously, there are seasons in which we go through the wilderness. There are seasons in which we go through dryness, or, or it's like it feels like everything's hard and everything's difficult. And it's in those times that the Lord does that so that he can draw us closer to him. The Israelites did it for 40 years, right? Jesus did it for 40 days. I think if I go into the wilderness, I'd much rather just get okay with the Lord and come out much sooner like he did. But nonetheless, the Lord takes us through these seasons. Now, in this verse, some of us will say it's not the Lord's will for wilderness. I actually think the Lord desires us to live from the wilderness and go back to it often. That's my belief. Okay, so, so there, there's times where I exit it, but there's times where either he pulls me into it or I place myself in that situation because it says this. Now, Hosea, he was a prophet, and he had in my mind the worst call out of nearly anyone in the Bible. I think Ezekiel, John's favorite prophet, <laughs> had, the, had, the, had the stinkiest call, <laughs> pun intended. But anyway, and if some of you don't know that, you can just go to read Ezekiel, and it's amazing. But Hosea had like the worst call because the Lord said, I want you to go marry a prostitute to signify the relationship that I have with my people. And so the relationship that you have with my wife, that's the relationship I have with my people who's going to be eventually the bride of my son. And so he goes and he marries this prostitute, and, Ho and Hosea, he says, he woos her out into the wilderness. And it's a prophetic picture what the Lord does with his people. It says, therefore, therefore, behold, I will allure her. It means to entice. I mean, it's, I mean for, it means to entice. You could go really far with that word if you wanted to. But, it, but it, means, it means that he entices you to the point to where you desire nothing else but him. And so, so it's like, God, you put on your best cologne. You entice her out to the wilderness. That's what he's doing. He says, oh, allure her, bring her into the wilderness, and speak kindly to her. And again, you've heard me, probably heard me teach this, but the word kind, it means that he brags about himself over her. And so, so it's, it's, it's a picture of this. He says, let's go out to the wilderness so that I can convince you of my goodness. He says, I'm good, I'm kind, I'm faithful, I'm true, I'm unchanging, I'm, I, I, I'm all-powerful, I'm, 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 I'm all places at all time, I'm, I'm all, all these wonderful things. I'm healer, I'm provider, I'm sufficient in of myself, right? I, I, I was and I have always been and I always will be. It's, it's like... It's like he lures her out to the wilderness or, or sometimes the Lord puts us in these situations because we get a little bit puffed up, if you will, or we get a little bit trusting in our own abilities. And the Lord, he takes us into these places to where we realize it really has nothing to do with us, but it has everyone, everything to do with the one that's boasting about himself over top of us. And, and, and some of, I say some of us, are, are, let, me, let me rephrase that. Sometimes Christians think, well, I've, I've prayed the prayer, I put money in the plate, and I've done this, that, or the other, but, but, and so therefore I'm okay. And they never respond to the wooing, and then they become self-sufficient. And before you know it, there's no time ever in the Word. And before you know it, there's no time on your knees. You understand? And there's no time alone with Him. And the 
Lord wants His people to be a people that responds to His wooing. And so there's going to be times when the Lord calls you to shut down stuff, if you will, to shut down activity, to shut down busyness. Maybe it's to take a break from social media or television for a while. Why? Because He's wooing you to the wilderness because we've gotten to this place where we're not hearing His voice, but He's wanting to boast about Himself over top of you. And so here's this picture. The wilderness is beautiful. It really, really is. And I think, man, if I could spend as much time in that place where he's just boasting about himself over top of me, right? That's like one of my favorite verses in, oh, it's Song of Songs 8.3, which says, uh, 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 who is this coming up out of the wilderness, leaning upon her beloved? And that's that picture of, of the bride being so convinced of his goodness that he's not going to drop her and let her fall to the ground. What would it look like if we as a people got so convinced that he's not going to drop us to the ground that we came leaning and trusting in him to such a degree that we begin to see revival break forth, right? And so it's just this beautiful, beautiful picture. Now, Now, it goes on, verse 15, I've never taught on this part, but it says, then I will give her, it's after he speaks kindly to her, verse 15, he says, then I'll give her vineyards from there, in the valley of of Achor, as a door of hope, and she will sing there as in the days of her youth, she'll sing unencumbered, uninhibited, she's not going to be afraid to sing, she'll sing as in the days of her youth. And as in the day she came up from the land of Egypt, acre, it, it actually, that, that acre, acre, <laughs> it means troubled. It means uh, distressed caused by covetousness. Covetedness. It, it, it means distress caused by wanting stuff that you don't have. Let's just say that. I'm having trouble talking. And so, so here's this picture of, her, of the Lord saying, that I will provide a door of hope in this place that's been defined by trouble. And some of us, the Lord wants to turn our troubles into hopes, but the only way that happens is if we get alone with Him and we allow Him to convince us of His goodness. And see, when presence is increased by way of intimacy, and I think I say presence is increased, the awareness of God's presence in our day-to-day life, when it's increased by way of intimacy, the things that used to bring trouble to us now bring hope and expectation. It's like... Lost my job, praise God, he's about to do something new and provide, right? Oh, I got a bad diagnosis, I guarantee the Lord's going to heal me and bring forth something incredible out of this situation. Uh, Kid went off the deep end again, this time they're coming back, and when they come back, they're not going to be lost. It's this picture of the Lord saying, I'm going to convince you that in the midst of your hardest situations, in the midst of your trouble, I'm going to show up and no longer will you feel troubled or burdened by that thing but now you're going to look at square in the eye and say i dare you to stay the same because my god will move in that situation oh the valley of low expectations actually gets transformed into the valley of high expectations now how does that relate to the people who pursue nothing but his presence as a company of people as a family if all we pursue his is his presence there may be moments when I get down and have low expectations, but Bob's going to look at me and say, dude, he showed up like 38 times last month. And the only way he has permission to speak to me like that is if we live like family. Because I, if you're some guy off the street, I'm going to be like, dude, shut up. <laughs> like, right? You, what do you want? <laughs> like you're trying to say something nice to get something from me. But if it's family, I can trust that. And so here's this picture. Hmm. Huh. I'm just going to say it. So, so like, it's popped my I just looked at you. I'm just going to say this. You can, in Daniel 10, Daniel starts to cry out to the Lord. And he starts to pray. And it's like, 21 days later, the angel shows up and starts to speak to him. And when the angel shows up, he says, the moment that you prayed, that's when I answered. Okay? So, like, that's, I think that's for you guys right now. I'm not trying to embarrass you. I just, that's for you right now. Okay? 
so. So the, the, thank you, Lord. Yeah. I just want to be people that chase after him. So for people that chase after his presence, we won't get distracted by things that are inconsequential. And if we do, because it's in the context of family, family will realign us. Now, there will be moments where the early church had it right. They practiced silence and solitude and prayer. There's going to be moments where we need to withdraw, not from fellowship with one another, hear me, but there's going to be times where we need to disconnect so that we can hear his voice. Okay, now uh, a family. I believe we're a family that, that believes in the importance of generational legacy. And so, like, I, I look at this and I see the kids who's in here now. I see the kids that went out for children's church, and I see the kids that will be here. Okay, and that is our inheritance. <laughs> like, that is our inheritance. And, and the kids that aren't here that will, I, like, it, it's just the most important thing we have at our church, aside from the presence of the Lord, are those precious children. It's not just so mom and dad can come and get goosebumps and cry in the presence of the Lord. It's because we're raising our kids in this environment so that, right, so, so what, it, what is the Proverbs that says that, you know, train up a child in the ways of the Lord and he will not depart from, from it when he gets older. Like that's what, I'm really butchered that verse. You can look it up yourself later, but that's the premise. And, and so, so we're believing that, that, that these kids aren't going to have to go and experiment when they go off to college, right? They're not going to have to sow any wild oats or like, I don't even have oats, right? So let alone try and sow. The only thing they're doing is they'll, they'll sow tears, right? And then that way they could Psalm 126, and then they'll reap songs of joy. And, and so, so the, the most important asset that we have is our children, and, and we're raising them up because, again, like, I, I, I tell you what, like, I love our service. I love our worship, but, like, I don't care if we ever have a good service, a good church service. Again, what I care about is they get raised up to where that one day I get to sit on the front row and just weep as they're ministering to us. Like, that's what I'm starting to think of and dream of. And so generational legacy, like, like it's, it's going from the mindset of saying they're important to believing they are. Now, here's and, and so it's like, well, where's that biblically? I, I think you can find it in several places. Months ago or about a year ago, I told them Mephibosheth and, and, and uh, uh, Mephibosheth and, and I'm losing track. Um, Oh, it's the guy that got taken up to heaven, raptured in Genesis chapter 4. Enoch, thank you, thank you. But, you know, Enoch gave birth to, to Mephibosheth. And you got really wrecked when we talked about that. But, but anyway, so here's another instance I want to say this morning. All right, I want to think about David for just a few minutes. Does anyone, like, uh, David was a man after God's heart. He chased after the Lord's presence. And he wasn't perfect. We know and we understand that. And he ended up having an affair, committing murder. But do we know, do, does anyone know who David's offspring was from that, I, from that adulterous encounter? Does anyone know off the top of your head? Solomon. Solomon. Okay. So this is fascinating to me. We just went through Song of Solomon. Does anyone know, and I, this is rhetorical, so I'll just answer it for you. But does anyone know what Solomon means? The name Solomon. It means man of peace, and it means man of internal peace. Not just peace, but internal peace. So David, even though he was messed up and had issues, 
He was a man after God's own heart. David, as a young shepherd's boy, right, spent hours and hours and hours out in the wilderness by himself worshiping the Lord. I think that's Psalm 63. And so he's out there worshiping the Lord by himself, eventually gets promoted and becomes king. And if you read the story of David, David, he was, he was actually kind of a, I think he was kind of like a warful king. That was like what he was really good for. And I think there was opportunities where the Lord wanted him to step away from what he was skilled at, to step into a season of peace, but he didn't. And that's why his life was filled with so much turmoil. But because he valued the presence of the Lord, he gave birth to a son that was identified as peace. Now look at 1 Kings chapter 10. I'm going to read about Solomon right here. And this is what peace does for you. And I think this is a picture of what we as parents, grandparents, and spiritual moms and dads are contending for. 1 Kings 10, 23 says this, So King Solomon became greater than all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. All right, so, so he didn't strive for riches and wisdom. He received it from the Lord because he was a man of peace. And all the earth was seeking the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his heart. Verse 25, They brought, they brought every man his gift, Articles of silver and gold garments, weapons, spices, horses, and mules, so much year by year. So here's this picture of Solomon that's the wisest and richest king in ever, or ever of all time. And because he's so wise, people start coming to him and be like, here. And they start laying down what they have before him. And he didn't need it. But they did it anyway. It's because of what he carried. And, and now I, I say this. I think that what the Lord is saying with generational legacy, I don't think Solomon ever walked in that if David had not ever spent time alone with the Lord in the wilderness. Okay, And so us, we could look at it like this, and this is not a workspace thing, because how many of you have ever tried to go get alone and pray in your prayer closet, and you pray your hardest, and you're like, well, that was a minute and a half, Right? <laughs> it's, it's just, it just doesn't work that way. But if it becomes worship, and, and that's why our pre-prayer time, we don't, I don't spend a lot of time like trying to pray a lot of, I pray more specifically on Wednesdays than I do Sundays, because what, what I'm hoping you all learn is that some of the greatest prayer experiences that you'll ever have isn't when you're stomping the ground and crying out. I think there's times for that, but it's when you get before the Lord and you just worship Him. And He's like, boom, there's an answer to the thing that you've been desiring anyway. Boom, there's revelation that you need. And so I think this is a picture of us getting alone with the Lord, believing that what He gives us will then, the wars that we fight, the wars that we have to fight, that our children and our grandchildren will never after ever have to fight because they won't be identified by war, but they'll be identified by peace instead. And so I, I think that, and like practically it's like, I don't want him to wrestle with the junk that I've wrestled with my whole life. I don't want him to wrestle with identity and, 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 and narcissism or, or anger or lust, right? I, or covetousness. I, like, I don't want him. And like you could think of all these times. You could go around the room and be like, what would you wrestle with? Do you want your kid to struggle with that or not? And if you do want your kid to struggle with that, you probably need an encounter with Jesus because we want our kids to have better than we had. And so what we're doing right now, it doesn't just affect us so we can say, oh, I felt the Lord in church. What we're doing right now affects future generations. And that's why, and what's crazy, this is what I taught before, but what is Jesus identified as? Was he identified as Jesus, son of Joseph, or Jesus, son of David? 400 years after the fact. And so here's this picture, right? Like, I, and if I was Jesus' dad, earthly, I'd been like, well, what about me, right? <laughs> but, but he was identified as son of David because there was a young boy that said, I'm going to go get along with God. And I'm going to worship him. And I'm going to call unto him. And I'm going to write and sing new songs that the earth is yet to hear. And believe that because I'm beginning to have this communion and intimacy with Him that it's going to change future generations down the road. 
Now, David, he wrestled most of his adult life, and, and I think we don't have to live that way. I really believe it because we live in a new and better covenant where the Spirit lives in us and now empowers us because a lot of stuff David was doing, he was doing under his own strength. That's brand new, so that's real. I think that's the Lord right there. And so, so, so we have the Spirit that lives inside of us. So we believe in the importance of generational legacy. Like I, I think like the kids in this room, like, like we see the kids dancing with flags, and like there's future worship leaders. There's future apostles, prophets, shepherds, teachers, and evangelists just running around the room all around this place. I just think it's incredible. Now, we're a family who believes or desires to see regional transformation. And again, if it's about a church, we want to grow the church. And probably in modern society, we want to grow the brand of the church. And that's really gross. <laughs> it is. But you can see it, right? The thump logo, thump logo. Oh, selfie. We did this. Hashtag blast. Whatever. It's stupid. It's just stupid. And if you do it, whatever. But I'm just saying some of it's dumb. I, I, think, I think the Lord will give you clarity, but if you're doing it so you get, if you're doing it to bring honor and glory to the Lord, praise the Lord. If you're doing it so, you, so that people think you're doing something for the Lord, probably shouldn't do it. I'm just saying. And I know from experience, not because I've had other people tell me they've done it. I know because I've lived it myself. All right, so we're a family who desires to see regional transformation. Here's what's fascinating. Second Chronicles 7.14, probably one of the most quoted verses, right? If my people are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven, I'll forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. And so it's like, how can we see the land healed? How can we see Louisville healed? We repent, right? We change the way we think. We begin to pray and to cry out. But you understand that as we begin to pray and cry out, it doesn't just affect us. It affects the world around us. And that's a picture of Romans 8, verse 19, which says, For the anxious longing of creation, well, I love how it's phrased, the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that creation in itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption and the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So, so I was like, what in the world does that big run-on verse Paul mean, right? But here's this picture that, that we know that if we repent, if we pray, if we cry out, when the Lord begins to dwell in places, it blesses the land. And that's why I said prophetically, in the spirit, I think that that's why there's trees planted. That's why businesses are coming in. That's why strip clubs are closing. Like, like we believe that that's why Ace moved in. Like it's sin. Like our blessing blesses the area around us. I know it sounds crazy, but it's the truth. Now, here's the other thing that Romans 8 actually says that creation was subjected to futility because of man's fall. So therefore, it's like, well, if we're in a rough area of the city and we're like, oh, this is awful, is it because it's awful or is it because creation has been subjected to futility because that there's, we live in a broken and fallen world and therefore it's not living up to the potential and the destiny that the Lord has for that place. And maybe if a son or daughter of God like let your light shine, if you will, carry the presence of the Lord into that area, even if you drive through for 30 seconds, but maybe, just maybe, it's waiting, crying out, right, for something to happen. That something to happen is for the Lord to send His workers or His children. In, I don't like the word worker, but send His, because we're, we're co-laborers, but, but send His children into that place. And so practically, it looks like this. Like, how does creation is subjected to futility, is longing anxiously? And, and we've said stuff like this before, but practically it looks like this. It's like if we hear gunshots out in public, is, is that like, oh gosh, and it is an oh gosh moment, but it's like, is that creation crying out because it's been subjected to less than it could have experienced? Practically, it's like this. I think there's, there's, there's Michael pre-2012 and there's Michael post-2012. 2012 is when I had my encounter with the Lord at Crossroads Tabernacle at the first awakening I went to where I had an encounter with the Lord and I began to just crave His presence. 
pre-2012, to 2007 to 2012, I was saved, I was born again, but I was still subjected to futility because I had never experienced a degree of presence like that before. But after 2012, I had tasted and I had seen. And it's like this thing that I had been searching for, looking for, right? This thing that I've been like, and like, it's, Part of I'm learning in class, this is part of my personality type. I love starting things. I hate finishing things. Okay? It's just like, oh, let's, let's do this. Let's go buy a bunch of tools to build something never do it. Like that's, that's been the story of my life. So I like do this or I'm going to start collecting this. And start. At one time I collected case knives. And, like, and like, I'm, like, do I, I don't look like someone who would collect knives, right? I just don't. <laughs> but anyway, so I started, I'd like, I'd just do all these different things. I was looking for something, but what I was looking for was what I experienced in 12. And so I was experiencing futility. Futility means, essentially it means not enough water is what that means. Now, it's not talking about a drought, but I think in the spirit it means living with a spiritual drought to the degree that you're always left thirsting for something more. And creation is crying out because what they're waiting for is a company or a family of people that says, I want more of him no matter what the cost is. I want more of him. And, and by the way, the thing that you think you need, I'll be able to help you get that thing you need. But the thing that you think you need is not the thing that you need. What you really need is an encounter with him. It changes things. Good Lord. And this last one, I've got time. I've got, oh, thank you, Lord. I've got time. (laughs) Time. Sorry. What does that say if I hear Mick Jagger singing that song right now? It's not holy. It's not, it's not, it's not, doesn't matter how good it is. <laughs> oh, look at Ephesians 2 and in Ephesians 4, and I'm just going to say this. Um, I believe the Lord is building a family who's being equipped to be carriers of revival. And, and this will make more sense, the host's presence, whatever phrase you want to say it. And I think these are markers of our church right here, but. Ephesians 2.19 says that, So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple, in the Lord, in, in whom you are also being built together in a dwelling of God, into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. But it says this, and, and, and this will make sense in just a second, and I've been convicted just to kind of teach on this momentarily, but, but the Lord, like Christ Jesus is the cornerstone of everything that we do. Like it's just, it's rooted, it's founded, it's built, bent on him or built on him. We understand that like if a cornerstone is taken out, like it, the building will topple over. And so if he's not in this thing, then, then what we're trying to do, is, it's futile, right? Now, what's fascinating to me is that every great move of God, it's, it, the Lord always establishes two things. And he establishes the apostolic and he establishes the prophetic in conjunction with Christ Jesus. And apostolic, it quite, I mean, it, it quite simply means sent. I believe we were, all of us have been sent here by God to establish what the Lord desires to establish in this part of the country. I believe it wholeheartedly. And, and, and I would go as far as saying, and, and he says that he, he <laughs> says that having been built on the foundation of the apostles, and the prophets. I think we're a prophetic church. We hear from the Lord. We hear from the Lord. I gave a word just a few minutes ago, right? Like we hear from the Lord and we speak it out. And so the apostolic and the prophetic are always present if real revival is going to be sent out. You could go back and look at the great revivals in the last 200 years and you could see like who 
helps spearhead that thing. And what the Lord did, and, and most of the time it's someone responding to what Lord, the Lord told them to do, which is a prophetic act in of itself, all right? So, so this is why we're starting to see some of the things that we're seeing. And once those are established, then the Lord begins to equip the body. And this is what I believe we're into right now. And so look at Ephesians 4. He gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and as teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we attain unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure and stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So... So real quick, the Lord, and these things aren't weird and spooky things, and, 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 and some people move in between different giftings, but these were gifts from the Lord Jesus to his church. And, and quite frankly, it's, it, 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 and for us, it looks, let me, I'm trying to be careful how I say this, but it, it don't matter, I'm jumping off the cliff. The apostles guide and govern, so they help establish what the core values are. Prophets, they hear from the Lord and release that in the moment. Shepherds, they, they guard, they protect, right? Teachers, they, they build up and they equip. They teach foundational doctrines. And evangelists get so sick to their stomach that they've got to see people get saved. And the Lord puts people in these things to equip the body to go do the works of Jesus. And so practically, I mean, we, we see this, that the Lord moves. And, and so, like, I, I would argue that, like, Dan is an apostle, okay? And he has come and he has equipped us to do the works of ministry, right? And so very practically, it's like that. Why? Because if we're a church, we just want to be entertained by the speaker. But if we're a family, we want to see our family grow. And if our family grows, the only way it grows is not because one or two people are up here preaching and teaching. What happens is, is if I'm down here in my seat and I'm listening to what's happening, I'm listening to what's spoken, and I take that word that's spoken, I say, oh, that's for me. And I make it mine. I start to get equipped in this stuff. And then I start to live this stuff out on my own. And so, so then you start to do what Jesus commissioned everyone to do in, in Matthew 10. And not everyone will do this fully, but I, I think that you probably could if you tried. <laughs> but, but it's Matthew 10 says, right, that he says, you heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you've received, now freely give. And so it's this picture of living out the gospel of the kingdom. And what I see the Lord doing in our church, what I see the Lord doing in our family. It's going to take me a while to get used to changing that. Is that the right creature of habit? But what we're going to begin to see the Lord start doing is these things that we have, it's so that we all start to say, this is for me and I'm going to live it out. And I know y'all's doing it because we would not be seeing some of the things that we're seeing in your individual lives. We wouldn't have people get burdens for across the street for the neighborhood. We wouldn't have people calling in the middle of the week or texting in the middle of the week. I just sang the Lord, you know, I was listening to this song and the Lord starts speaking to me and I turned it into a worship song. Like we wouldn't have things like that unless the Lord wasn't doing this in your heart. And so, so, but all that again is built on the foundation of what the Lord's doing. Like I would argue Rob McCorkle is probably the, one of the greatest teachers on the planet. Like he has came and he has instructed and it's not like he, he wears that off, but he equips us. And so we may not have all these people in our church yet, we will, we will, but we have people that come that are affiliated with us that come and they speak and they equip us. And so like, and that's like why we have all these meetings anyway, so that we can be equipped, not so when we like, oh, we have these people at our church. Trust me, like, uh, and it's, it's funny, it's funny, one, we can't afford to bring all the people in. <laughs> And two, attendance is always less when we bring people in. So it's not like we're trying to have a big knockdown, drag out service and attract everyone and their brother here. 
typically what happens when they come, the handful that's really hungry, and I know there's some exceptions where people are, can't come or this, that, or the other because of work and life. I understand. I get it. But what typically happens is those that the Lord wanted to be there in that moment were there. They got what they needed, and then they started living out what they got. And once they live out what they got, it gives others around them permission to walk this stuff out. That's a whole lot. <laughs> And all of that, here's the conclusion. Nice, neat bow. <laughs> all of that, I probably could have listed like five or six other things. But all that, the only way that's established is if we're people that walk in communion or intimacy with the Lord. That's it. That's it. Oops. If we don't walk in communion and intimacy with the Lord, we, not that there's anything wrong with this, but we turn on veggie tails and we give our kids juice boxes and say, behave while the adults have church. And I think there is merit in that, but that's what we do. If there's no intimacy with the Lord, that's what we do. It's the truth, right? If, if we don't have intimacy with the Lord, we don't have a vision and a heart for the city or for the region. Because it's about us growing a church and it's about us trying to attract a bunch of other Christians. And I think we will have other Christians come here because I think there's people hungry for what we're beginning to experience. I actually do believe that's a thing. I think the days of megachurch are about over, but I think the, the, the days of houses that host his presence and send people out, I think that's what we're starting to step into. All right. So, so I think we'll see that. And then, and, and without intimacy, we'll, we'll never ever. We will never, ever see the establishment of an apostolic community. You won't. That's like the church of Antioch. If you want to know what an apostolic church looks like, look, research the church of Antioch, and you'll just see it. It's incredible. And to a large degree, the church in Ephesus. Like, you, we won't ever see those things. But if we're intimate with the Lord, we will to some degree. And so, so but, but with this, folks, we've got to redefine what success is. And for like me, and I think Bob, Bob's the only one in here that's ever done this, every year, and I will probably in April, fill out an annual pastor's report where I turn in all the statistics for the entire year of the church. Those are important things. I think we should measure those things. Just some stuff doesn't matter to me anymore like it used to. But like, and, I, and like some of the stuff we count is how many people saved, how many people was filled with the Spirit. Like those are things that we keep track of. But how do I quantify, how do I quantify a kid up here with a, some flags, dancing a little hard out, singing, right? How do I quantify see, getting on Facebook and seeing a video of Michaela a few weeks ago singing Amazing Grace at the top of her lungs, right? right? Like you can't quantify those things. And so, so, so if I didn't see 20 people born again the last week, does that make me less success? I say me. That's not what I mean. But does that make us less successful than it does seeing a little girl singing her heart out to Jesus? I, I don't think it does. I think it's of equal importance. And so we've got to learn to be like, man, the Lord was really here today and he touched some people. He spoke to That's success. It changes things. It changes things. I go on and on and on. I, I, I just, I think... I don't have permission to say what I was going to say, so I don't. <laughs> not not today. Not always being filmed. But he's redefining what success is. Is is success being able to stand up at district assembly if we're Nazarene and say we had the biggest church and we gave all this money and this that and the other, but we didn't have a heart for the people down the street? Yeah. Oh. Anyway, you turn that off, bub. Thank you. We need a systemic exodus. And, and in other words, the, the way that we've always thought, we just need to change it. And I think we're on the cusp of that. I think we are. And again, like we're missing half our people today. And I'm just being very practical here. Do we think the Lord was here? During worship, did we sense the Lord's presence? And it wasn't dictated by who was not here. It was dictated by who is here. 
And so what you're doing is working. What you're doing is making a difference. But I want us to lean into some of these points. And, and like, I don't do this very often. Like, I think if you want to go back and watch what was taught today on Facebook, go, list, go watch it again. Because I think these are becoming the markers. These are the things that I lay in bed at night obsessing about. Like, this is what you're turning us into, Lord. Go watch it again or listen to it on podcasts whenever Brett gets it up. But just listen to it and think, this is who we are and start praying into this. How can I, how can I steward you more? How can I raise up the next generation more? And, and quite frankly, it may be, look like some of us that, that only have one child or, or may not have any kids left in the house. It may, quite frankly, look like you coming up and putting your arm around someone and just praying a prayer blessing over them, telling them what, what they mean to you and how proud you are of them. I mean, it's, it's, just, it's just changing the way we operate. Anyway, I've rambled. I think we're done. I'd just like to pray, if that's okay. I think the Lord would be happy if we prayed. <laughs> Amen. So, Jesus, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for what you're building here. Um, we, keep, wow, we keep saying this over and over, that you're doing something special here. And, and I don't fully grasp what that is, but I try to provide a language sometimes what I think you're doing. But I would pray, Lord, that, that what you have begun, that we don't get in the way of you bringing to completion, Lord. Because <laughs> you're faithful and you promise to everything that you start, you finish. And so I would ask that you help us. I would pray, Lord, that you give us all a greater desire for intimacy and communion with you. I know some is put off by that language. I get it. But if you, if you need me to change that language, I just say that I would pray, Lord, that people grow in their relationship with you. That's it. Grow in their relationship with you. They get to know you better. They get to understand you more. Whatever that looks like for every individual affiliated with this family, I pray that that begins to happen. I would pray, Lord, that hmm, I pray you would help us be fearless in pursuing the things of the kingdom. Just as Taylor Cox prayed out, Lord, I pray, Lord, that it doesn't matter to us what others say or think or do. I, would pray, I was so moved when she prayed that, Lord. I would pray, Lord, that you would help us not to be mindful of man, but be mindful of what you want to do. And, and so, Lord, if there's any fear or apprehension of stepping into this next phase or season, I would pray, Lord, that you help us overcome that fear and just walk in the fullness of what you've called for us, Lord. I would pray, Lord, that you equip us so that we lack nothing, so that we lack nothing, Lord. Equip us. Give us more tools in our belt to use, Jesus. Give us more tools in our belts. And, and for those that think, well, I'm not going to ever teach or pre, I pray, Lord, you'd help them. Equip them to love better than they've ever loved before, God. Equip them to give you away like they've never given you away, Lord. Equip them to love and take care of their families that you've trusted them with like never, ever before, Lord. I, I just think this is so, so practical, Jesus. And so, Father, I thank you for what you're doing. I cherish what you're doing. And just as I wrote the other day, and I meant from the bottom of my heart, I say this is home, Lord. Hmm. As a grown man that spent most of his life always wanting to be somewhere else than he was, I say I'm thankful that we're home. And so, Lord, I bless you and I thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.